please take out your copies of Scripture as we will be reading Lamentations 5. That is after Jeremiah, Lamentations 5. This is God's word. Please give it your full attention. Lamentations 5. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. We must pay for the water we drink. The wood we get must be bought. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary. We are given no rest. We have given the hand to Egypt and to Assyria to get bread enough. Our fathers sinned and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. Slaves rule over us. There is none to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is hot as an oven with the burning heat of famine. Women are raped in Zion, young women in the towns of Judah. Princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to grind at the mill, and boys stagger under the loads of wood. The old men have left the city gate, the young men their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen on our heads. Woe to us, for we have sinned. For this our heart has become sick. For these things our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. Unless you have utterly rejected us, and you remain exceedingly angry with us. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. An interesting aspect of Christianity is that in the secular world, the secular history, we are called and categorized as an Abrahamic religion, so-called. What does that mean? It means that Jews, Christians, and the late coming, Islam, Muslims, have some things in common. Jews and Christians especially have the most in common, as Muslims call all of scripture corrupt, except for their latter-day prophet, just like the Mormons, who in, in whose image Satan crafted that religion. But unlike Islam and Mormonism, Jews would call lamentations scripture. This is really what, our, what makes us similar. Undefiled from the passage of time and the very words of God, they would say, of lamentations, just like we do here in, at Christ's covenant, we Christians. Jesus, in his own day, never criticized the Jews on this level. He criticized their understanding of Scripture. He criticized their application of Scripture and their living of Scripture. But he never criticized their view of Scripture, which was the infallible word of God. That is, Jesus and the Pharisees, just like the Jews of today, agreed on the Old Testament that it was the word of God and is the word of God and therefore for infallible. So even today, Jews will expound from various sections of Scripture 
in their synagogues, which are their replacement for the temple. Even today, the Jews will speak out of the word of God as if they were the word of God. But what's wrong? The same problems that Jesus had with the Jews. They looked into scripture and did not find Christ there. Jesus corrected his followers and did this, Luke 24 tells us. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. As we have gone through Lamentations, we certainly have found Christ there, but his name has never been spelled out. The Jews might come to us and criticize us, just as they criticize Jesus and say, where is Jesus in this passage? Where was his name spelled out? But Jesus, as God himself, understands scripture better than the former and the current Jews. Why? Because the Old Testament scripture that they themselves call inspired not only tells the story of a people in need of Christ. It does, the history there. But scripture also self-consciously and consistently assumes the need for the Messiah of promise. Not just any Messiah, but a sure Messiah, a just Messiah, and just this Messiah that Jesus could only be. Jesus is the explicit assumption of this text. And while this is the case for every text in the Old Old Testament, as Jesus has said, Lamentations, especially Lamentations 5, shows this. Lamentations 5 shows how the Messiah, later revealed to be Jesus in the name of Jesus, was the assumption of every believing Jew, even in the time of Lamentations, and Jeremiah especially. The Jewish religion depends upon it. The Jewish religion cannot stand without this Messiah. And the current Jewish religion without Christ, as Lamentations 5 reveals, is a complete sham of a religion. The Jews of today live in Lamentations 5 right now and sinfully don't lament and lose hope in themselves For hope is through Christ and nowhere else. Hope is through the Messiah of God and nowhere else. So now as we come to introduce our text, we must remember that Lamentations, the book, comes after a momentous occasion in Israelite history. That is, first, we must remember that Israel had split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom, which did not have a temple and worshipped according to their own minds, and a southern kingdom with a temple. After that split... The northern kingdom, called Israel, had been thrown into captivity by the Assyrians, and they almost disappeared from off the map because they were being assimilated into that foreign culture. And now, at the time of Lamentations, all that remained was Judah, and now that has been taken over by the Babylonians. And the house of the living God, the house of Yahweh, the temple where sacrifices were offered day and day out, is gone. This country was exceedingly sinful, and so they, de- they deserved these things. Therefore, in the days of Jeremiah, Judah went into captivity and is now, as we'll see in Lamentations 5, the habitation of jackals. So that now the people of God were without a country, both north and south, and they had, a place, they had no place to worship God. When God had been the king of their country ever since Exodus 24, Now it seemed like Yahweh had abandoned them. The people of God were without a way of formal worship when God had given them before a tabernacle and then a temple in the ways that he had prescribed. The people of God now wonder 
if God has forsaken them? Why was God not answering their prayers? Why were the wicked in triumph over the people of God? Where were the promises of blessing that he had given Israel and Judah? Where were his promises of, I will be with you always? I will be your God and you will be my people. It's these promises that Jeremiah now turns in Lamentations 5. He says, first, in our first section, remember, verses 1 through 18. Remember is where we're, we're starting, where he's calling God to remember his covenant people and promises in the face of horrible circumstances. Remember your covenant people, O Lord. Jeremiah describes these horrible circumstances, starting in verse 1. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. We must pay for the water we drink. The wood we get must be bought. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary. We are given no rest. We have given the land, the hand rather, to Egypt and to Assyria to get bread enough. Our fathers sinned and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. Slaves rule over us. There is none to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is hot as an oven with the burning heat of famine. Women are raped in Zion, young women in the towns of Judah. Princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to grind at the mill. The boys stagger under loads of wood. The old men have left the city gate. The young men, their music, the joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. And remember, this is calling the Lord to remembrance in these horrible circumstances. Because this is not really just a destruction of a place, but an entire culture. And really, at the end of the day, he's showing here that it's not merely a destruction of a culture, but a reversal of everything that that culture held dear So we might call it an erasure of a culture, an erasure of a people. Notice in this section that every section of society is affected. In Lamentations 4, society had collapsed in Israel. We saw that. But society has not only collapsed upon them in Lamentations 5, society had been reversed. Slaves rule over kings. Kings are treated like slaves. Women who ought to be protected by men are raped by them. Young and old are despised. The wisdom of the leaders of the people, the elders, is not regarded. And the young men and even boys are forced to do things they simply cannot do, that they have no strength to do. The wisdom of the old men offered at the meeting places of that culture, the the gate, the city gate, is gone. And the strength and the vitality of the young men, shown in their represented in song, is gone. They're extorted. They have no money. They have no food, they have no homes, they have no freedom, and they have no rest. Israelite society had not collapsed into chaos. No, the whole order of their culture has been placed upon its head. Israelite culture is not in chaos. No, it's being systematically erased. So that Jeremiah says in verse 15, the joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. And why is this? Verse 16 The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Although God has certainly done this judgment, who is responsible? Misery only comes from sin. 
And it is from this judgment of Israel's sin that Jeremiah cries out to God in prayer about the horrible situation which Israel is in. God's son is in. Verse 18, Mount Zion lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. And from all this, Jeremiah, a true Israelite, a true Jew, representing true Jews, has a heart so broken that he confesses, confesses with all of Israel. In verse 17, our heart has become sick. For these things, our eyes grow dim. That is, sorrow had come to such a great height in the Jews that they were close to dying of heartbreak. A man can, can often endure pain if his heart is strong or he is placed upon some kind of hope. But a man with a broken heart may not endure even if his body is strong and healthy. Judah's suffering had become unbearable and unbearably overwhelming to anyone who had eyes to see, although even those were becoming dim. It's amidst all this pain and sorrow that Jeremiah petitions Yahweh in verse 1, Remember. Why? Why would God remember? What good will Jeremiah's calling for remembrance to God do? Amid all this desolation and sin, it is helpful to remember that God is a covenant God and does not forget his covenant promises to his covenant people. Were God to deal with sinners without a covenant, then all sinners, Jew or Gentile, would simply be destroyed immediately once there was sin. But as Jeremiah, like Christians in abject suffering, is a covenant child of God, he cries out to God, remember your covenant son. And second, he cries for God to act. As we turn to verse 21, act in restoration. This is second, the second section, restore your people to fellowship, verses 19 through 22. And I might say as well that this prayer of Jeremiah proves that God cares about the sufferer. He cares because he heard the lament of Jeremiah, not only heard it and acted, but he wrote it down for us, that we might learn how to lament, that the brokenhearted might have a place to go to understand their broken heart. He cares, even amidst all this destruction, for those people, the people that he, lo- he loves, his covenant people. Lamentations proves this. And God not only heard this prayer from Jeremiah, he acted. And in history, Israel was restored for a time back into the land of promise. We see this in Ezra and Nehemiah. They were able to build another temple eventually, and they came back to the land. And it was wondrous to behold. But there were several problems that God revealed. One is that the temple is temporary. Even that second temple was destroyed in 70 AD, and has never been rebuilt since. Even if it were to be made again today, the Ark of the Covenant, and most importantly, the holy contents in the Ark of the Covenant, has either been destroyed or it's been lost to history. The temple is temporary. It was, in fact, only a model of the heavenly temple anyway, so that it was designed from the first to be temporary, while when the true heavenly temple came, it would replace it. It was a shadow of things to come. Second, Israel did not stop sinning even after they were restored to the land. All the 12 minor prophets ending in Malachi prove this well enough, that Israel's restoration in answer to Jeremiah's prayer was only a partial restoration. The hearts of the people had not changed. 
They were still corrupt and corruptible. Had God failed in his restoration in answering his prayer? Would this cycle of destruction and lament continue for all time? Of course, the answer is no. But why? Because the cry of Jeremiah's heart, even in this text, is not really for a brick-and-mortar temple, temples of pomp and circumstance. Jeremiah is asking for what only Jesus can do as the God-man. We go to verse 21. Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Jeremiah is asking for restoration of right fellowship with the Lord, with God, for communion with God. The temple was necessary for communion to the, the Old Testament people, but only in a provisional manner. But God asked, or Jeremiah asked God to restore us to yourself, O Lord. Jeremiah wants the Lord, and he wants nothing less than the Lord. And he indeed answers this prayer of Jeremiah through Christ Jesus. How could right fellowship be restored for full fellowship with God and not a merely provisional temple or a merely temporary holiness of the people and therefore a feeble provisional fellowship with God and a feeble provisional kingdom of God as well as it has been overturned and destroyed by even these, these godless people, the Assyrians and the Babylonians. The Messiah the consolation of Israel. He must come to take Israel from lament. Jeremiah does not depend upon men, as we see even in this text. He depends upon God to accomplish this restoration and this covenant communion with the children of Israel. The relationship could only be restored by God and his actions alone. Restore us, he says, and we will be restored. It is by God's actions. The only one who can give restoration in this situation of Israel's total depravity and sin, of total weakness, misery, and and wickedness is God himself who sits on the throne, who reigns. Jeremiah tells us this when he petitions God, not merely to remember, but also to verse 21, restore by him who reigns. At the end of Lamentations 5, we might find uh, something surprising. We might be surprised to find cause to doubt Jeremiah's faith in this great reigning Savior when he says, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry at us. But this is not doubt that God reigns and will restore according to the promised Messiah. No, this is simply Jeremiah offering honest prayer to God. He knows that Israel has nothing to argue and in his depths of of sorrow and despair. He has nothing to argue, but he comes to the Lord with honest questions, does not demand things of the Lord, but still asks. He's being honest in his prayer. Israel has nothing to argue, for besides that God is the covenant God of Israel, were God not to consider Israel according to his steadfast love, according to his fatherly care, Jeremiah would not even started his prayer started lamentations at all. Jeremiah is honest in his prayers and pours out his heart to the Lord. Those who are in great suffering should learn to do this, to pour out our hearts to the Lord. So to answer Jeremiah's prayer, can God utterly reject his people and remain exceedingly angry with them? God hates sin utterly, yes, but he cannot utterly reject his people. No, he can never utterly reject his people 
because of his son who took the wrath of God on the cross. If we were to think of God only in himself, he would destroy us all, but he is a covenant God, and so we have hope. Judah, where they considered themselves, have no hope. But God does not consider us according to our sins, but to the Son. For those in Christ Jesus, those who have faith in Christ Jesus for our only hope in this life and the next, are hidden with Christ in God. For those in Christ Jesus, we have the pardon that only Jesus can give. Only in Christ's covenant can we have both hatred for sin in God and fatherly love and tenderness towards his people. Only in Christ can we have both hatred of sin in God and fatherly love and tenderness towards a sinful people. A Jew without Christ in these days is a Jew under the utter hatred and wrath of God. So that reading verse 21, the answer to a Jew outside of the covenant of Christ is, he can and will be exceedingly angry. Jeremiah got the answer to his question from the Lord, as we see in Jeremiah 31, 32, and 33, and the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I go to these passages in the Old Testament to show that the Old Testament and Jeremiah himself assumed a Christ that Jesus could only be. So as we go to these, I hope you will be patient and listen, starting in actually Jeremiah 26. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not spurn them, neither will I abhor them, so as to destroy them utterly and break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. But I will for their sake remember the covenant with their forefathers, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt and the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. Yet to God, he, he knew this covenant was not going to continue as it was administered in the Old Testament. It needed a new covenant head, So God says to Jeremiah, a new covenant had comes. Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That is covenant communion. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know him. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. But what shall be the nature of this covenant, this promised covenant that is needed, that these people are in great need of, especially in Lamentations 5. Their hope, God answers next in Jeremiah 32. I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever, for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make them an everlasting covenant, that I will not turn away from doing good to them, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts, that they may not turn away from me. And how will he accomplish this everlasting covenant? Through his son, the righteous branch. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. And he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved. And Jerusalem 
will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. What Israel needs is Christ, the covenant head, for that eternal covenant, a prophet, priest, and king and temple who cannot be destroyed, who cannot be corrupted, who is eternal and forever, who is a descendant of David. No earthly king will reign forever, but David's son, Christ Jesus, does. We ought to be utterly rejected in ourselves. We need one who can secure our salvation. No earthly temple can stand forever for our fellowship with God. But Jesus says, my body is the temple in John 2, 21. And the place we are going has the true temple, says Revelation 21. Its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Unlike the modern Jew who calls down pardon upon themselves without a temple, we are pardoned in Christ Jesus, in union with Christ Jesus, who takes the sin of his people from them on the work of the cross. And we have a foretaste of all of this now in Christ Jesus every Sunday in that we confess our sin after hearing the law and praise the Lord that he speaks intimately to us in righteousness, in the assurance of pardon. We lament, and yet he assures us of pardon. He speaks to us as king and conqueror of sin and death, and no mere man. Without Christ, we have no assurance of pardon because, like these Jews, the temple may be destroyed. We might be faithless, and our culture might be turned over on its head. But we have a a kingdom and a king that reigns for all eternity. Our head, the covenant head, Christ Jesus our Lord, is eternal in the heavens and draws us to himself by the work that he has done. And he has made us true sons of God in the Son. We have assurance of pardon, brothers and sisters, because Christ Jesus, who sits on the throne of generations as king, gives us pardon by his own blood to us as adopted brothers. Without this king, Jesus, and his work, there can be no pardon, no promises, and nothing but judgment. For only in Christ are the promises, yes and amen. And these promises of the old covenant find only in Christ their fulfillment. There can be no appeal to the throne of heaven without an appeal to Christ. There can be no restoration. There can be no reconciliation without an appeal to Christ. What does scripture say? 2 Corinthians 5.18. And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Pardon, reconciliation from the reign of Christ, so that we might have fellowship with him, the fellowship that... Lamentations 5 so eagerly desires and let us trust Christ for our restoration as sons of God and his heavenly rule. As even there is sin among us and sin in us, there is a future restoration which is even greater. And earnestly desire that day that Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away And the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, 
The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be them with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. This, we hope, will happen soon and is accomplished in Christ. Let us go to our great God in prayer. Lord, we thank you that we can indeed lament for sin. We can lament for the misery of sin. We can lament for the, the righteous rule that you have done, that you have placed upon us in justice. We can lament these things, for they are certainly difficult. But Lord, we pray that when we lament these things, when we ask you to remember, when you ask us to restore, that we would not place the burden upon ourselves. But Lord, that we would look to Christ, that we would kneel before his cross, place our sins before him as our covenant head, as our eternal Lord, that we would come to him and trust in him for our eternal salvation, that we would not look to these earthly institutions which were a shadow of the things to come, but that we would look to you. We thank you, Lord, that we have a a provisional showing of that great communion which we will have, even greater than it was in the temple right now as we worship you. You have not utterly cast us off, and your wrath does not continue forever because we are in Christ Jesus, and Lord, soon we will be with you forever. Lord, we will have that table with you, the wedding feast of the Lamb, rejoicing all along. We pray that that day might come soon, Lord, that we might be your people, and you will be our God forevermore. Lord, we love you and praise you. Come quickly, Lord. We ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.